<coughs> well, this morning, uh, I, I, there's a couple of things that, that I want to, to do. Uh, the first of which is uh, really to begin a series uh, in the new year in the book of James. And uh, I, I am so grateful to God, actually, for, for the way that, uh, that he leads us. And uh, I just feel that, the, that this morning's passage is so right for today. And uh, I, I've actually kind of wondered at the beginning of the new year, and particularly today, I wondered what, what scripture to, 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 to begin with and uh, wavered a little bit at the beginning of this week. But actually, I just feel that the, the passage in James 1 is so right for us today. And so I'd love for us to read the first 18 verses of James chapter 1 together and to unpack that a little bit uh, this morning. So let's take a look at James chapter 1 <clears throat> and uh, wonder what, what page of the, the Pew Bibles that's on. Some of you. 1, 2, 1, 3. How about that? 12, 13. 1, 2, 1, 3. It'd be great if you had that open this morning. I'm going to jump around a little bit. And so it'd be really helpful if you did have uh, that, uh, that chapter open in front of you. Let's read together. James chapter 1. James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ, to the twelve tribes scattered among the nations, greetings. Consider it pure joy, my brothers, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith develops perseverance. Perseverance must finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. If any of you lacks wisdom, he should ask God who gives generously to all without finding fault and it will be given to him. But when he asks, he must believe and not doubt because he who doubts is like a wave of the sea blown and tossed by the wind. That man should not think that he'll receive anything from the Lord. He is a double-minded man, unstable in all he does. The brother in humble circumstances ought to take pride in his high position. But the one who is rich should take pride in his low position. Because he will pass away like a flower, like a wildflower. For the sun rises with scorching heat and withers the plant. Its blossom falls and its beauty is destroyed. In the same way, the rich man will fade away even while he goes about his business. Blessed is the man who perseveres under trial. Because when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life that God has promised to those who love him. When tempted, no one should say, God is tempting me. For God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anyone. But each one is tempted when, by his own evil desire, he is dragged away and enticed. Then after desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin. And sin, when it is full grown, 
gives birth to death. Don't be deceived, my dear brothers. Every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of the heavenly lights, who does not change like shifting shadows. He chose to give us birth through the word of truth that we might be a kind of first fruits of all he created. Just pause for a moment. Lord God, we want to thank you for your word. And Lord, we thank you that uh, we can come together to listen to your word, to learn from your word. And Lord, we ask that this word this morning would be a real encouragement to us. Lord, that it would bring challenge, but it would bring hope too. And Lord, as we'll discover, as James kept you at the centre, Lord, may we keep you at the centre of all that we do this day and in the days that lie ahead, informed and instructed by your word. For we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. I'm guessing that to many of us, um, air travel is something that is familiar these days. And part of the kind of routine, Paul talked about the rigmarole of exchanging ties and stuff, part of the routine of uh, flying in an aeroplane is the safety instructions at the beginning. And there's one particular safety instruction that I think is particularly relevant for today. It's the bit where the, 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 the cabin crew say, should there be a loss of cabin pressure, a gas mask will drop down in front of you. Please ensure that you put the gas mask over your face and breathe normally. And this is the important bit. Please be sure that before you try to assist somebody else, you fitted your own mask so that you can breathe freely. James's letter is addressed to Christians in the 12 tribes. And that 12 tribes is kind of peculiar because he's writing to Christians and yet that's a very uh, Jewish uh, understanding or reference. But James is clearly writing to Christians, those who have become part of the sons of Abraham through Jesus. And the large majority of this letter is very instructive about our relationships with one another and how we relate to the world as Christians. But actually chapter 1 is unashamedly about making sure that we have the oxygen mask firmly fitted to our own faces before we seek to help other people. James is saying we need to, to start by checking that our own heart is right before God. And then we can try to look outwards to other Christians and to other folk in the world around. 
See, following Jesus is, is not an individual pursuit. And yet it requires that each one of us takes individual responsibility to walk with Jesus. But we do that in community, in the context of the church which has been ordained by Jesus as the body through which we may grow and nurture one another. But we are responsible to make sure that our own oxygen is well fitted so that we can respond to the challenges that lie ahead. Now you'll see in this passage that James does seem to chop and change quite a bit. It kind of moves from one thing to the next ever so quickly. Some people have said it's almost like he's made notes and if he'd spoken these words, then he'd have kind of made connections between them in a much more clear way. And I hope that there will be some connections that I can make for you this morning. I think there are three things that emerge this morning, often the way. But, but, but genuinely, as I was just looking at this passage, seemed to be three things that were going on that I'd love for us to look at in this passage in James. The first is actually, we need to take a look at what James says about God, because God is at the very heart of this passage. And James again and again points to God. And we need to see that. Then, in terms of the oxygen mask over our faces, James points out a couple of things which we must not do. And then he points to a bunch of things that we must do as well. And so that's the order I'd love to go in this morning. Let's take a look at what James says about God. What James says that we need to do. And what we need not do. I've entitled this series Faith in Action and that will become clear throughout the series that faith needs action. So what does James say about the, the God in whom we have faith and upon whose uh, life and love we act? It seems to me he says, he says five things about God in this passage. Verse 13, right at the heart of this passage, he says that God is good. God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anyone. God is good. Second thing that he says, and, and this is kind of at the beginning and at the end, God is the giver of good things. He gives generously, verse 5, he gives generously without finding fault. Unlike us, who actually when we give stuff sometimes, we might be a little bit grudging in our giving. Kind of say, well, you don't really deserve that, but here you go. You know? I'm sure it's happened in your situation, but I'm sure I've done it. Given grudgingly to people that I feel don't really deserve what I'm giving. But God gives without grudge finding fault. He, he gives to us who are undeserving. 
In verse 5, he's talking about giving wisdom to those that ask. Wisdom to see things from the Creator's perspective, to help us through difficult times. But God is also the giver of life. Verse 12. The one that perseveres under trial will receive the crown of life that God has promised. And again, verse 18, he chose to give us birth through the word of truth. God is the giver of life. That life can be seen both in terms of eternity. That image of the crown of of life is something that we we see in Paul's writings as a, a prize at the end when we've lived our lives and come before the Lord. But that idea in verse 18 of new birth is something that Jesus spoke of in in John chapter 3 when he was talking to Nicodemus saying that you must be born again. And that's about a spiritual rebirth that we know and can know now. So God is good. And God is a giver. And building on this notion that God is a giver, he is a God of grace. Verse 18, do you notice? God chose to give us. We didn't earn it. He chose us. Paul writes in his letter to the Romans, whilst we were still sinners, Christ died for us. We don't deserve it, but God gives. Fourthly, God is is light. Verse 17, you see that he's the father of the heavenly light. So often through scripture, God is associated with this notion of light banishing darkness. And here it's no exception. God is good. He's a giver. He is gracious. He is all that is light. And again in verse 17, he is unchanging. God does not change like the shadows that shift as the, as the sun moves around the sky. Faithful one. So unchanging. Ageless one, you're my rock of peace. Lord of all, I depend on you. We sung it this morning. James declares it here. probably about six sermons just in this passage this morning. We could develop all of those things about the characteristics of God this morning. We have not got time. But let's not forget as we go into the next two parts that God is good. God is a giver of many things. God is full of grace. He's the source of light and he is unchanging. James makes it clear. So what about our response? See, James talks about what we should and should not do. 
in the light of our lives before God. I want to suggest we look at the don'ts first and then we'll finish on the positives with the do's. Let's look at the don'ts. Two things that he really points out that we should not do. Number one, verses five to eight, do not doubt, James says. You notice that, that verse five follows on from verse four. Ha ha, you say. Verse five follows a picture that James paints in verse four of completeness, of maturity, of not lacking anything. Then immediately, verse 5, he says, but if any of you lacks, kind of being realistic, that we are not yet complete. And we lack many things. And here he picks on wisdom. We need to turn to God in prayer, and we'll come back to that. But then verse 6, he introduces this idea of doubt. And in of, of itself, doubt is actually a neutral thing. Doubt can be understood to be that place where you actually, you have one, two, maybe more than two pieces of, of information or choices to make and you're placed there and you don't actually know what to do. And you're in a place of doubt. Should I do that? Should I do that? I don't know. I'm doubting myself. Don't know what to do for the best. But the point is that when you choose to ask God, you can't sit on the fence anymore. You can't ask God and think, well, I'll just keep that foot in that camp just in case. Because, as you might see, the position becomes quite uncomfortable and you become quite unstable when you choose God both feet no compromise when you choose God you choose to ask him you choose to, to ask him for help to persevere don't doubt don't say well yeah I know God can do it but I'll just just Keep, keep my options open. Jesus said it in a couple of ways in, in Matthew's Gospel. Jesus said that you can't serve two masters. Slightly different context, but you can't serve God and money. Either, either you serve God or you serve other things. And, and in that case, he was talking about money. You can't have them both as masters. He said it in a different way when he talked about forgiveness. You see, he said, you can't ask for forgiveness and yet not forgive your brother. If you want forgiveness, then you need to choose to forgive. If you want to ask God for help, don't hedge your bets. So it's not that doubt in and of itself is a wrong thing, but where it's in that context of trying to kind of keep your, your feet in both camps, that's where it becomes destabilising and ultimately sinful. 
So that's the first don't. Second don't is don't be deceived and give in to sin. This admonition, this, this don't, is really the flip side of the facing trial that he urges us to do and persevering. And again, we'll look at that in just a moment. In the many and varied trials that James talks of in life, and we all face trials, big ones, little ones, enduring ones, short-term ones, we can look to God and we can persevere. Or we can give in to our sinful nature. We can allow temptation to take a hold and breed sin. And that's a constant reality for me and for you. Our human nature has fallen. This, as we've heard already, is not God's doing, but ours. Let's not forget what James affirms of God, that he is good, that he is a giver, that he is gracious, that he is light, that he is unchanging. God is not in the dock when sin takes hold. We are. And the result of sin is death. It's the opposite of all that God wants to give us. Life, wisdom, eternity. The wages of sin is death. And James says, don't. Don't be deceived. picks up again on this idea of sin throughout the book but in, in, in chapter 4 verse 17 he says anyone who knows let's just turn to it together because I've made a note of it and I haven't written it all out anyone then who knows the good he ought to do and doesn't do it sins Temptation is there. Again, temptation, a bit like doubt, is kind of neutral. We are all tempted, but what do we do with it? Do we give in and allow sin to breed? Or do we fix fast on God and ask him for help, for strength to persevere? That brings us kind of neatly on to the, the things that James says that we should do. And the first of those is to persevere. Verse 4, in the face of trials, many and varied, all kinds of different trials, doesn't specify. Don't allow yourself to slip into self-pity, blaming others. Look to God. see in this passage that, that perseverance has two goals. Verse 4, maturity. 
That idea of completeness is actually that, that thing that, that, that Jesus talks about in the Sermon on the Mount of, of perfection. Be perfect. That's our goal. To be the people that we were created to be in the image of God. That's one of the goals of perseverance. And the other is the crown of life. Well done, good and faithful servant. Keep going. Hang fast to the God of grace, the God of goodness, the God of light. The God who is unchanging. Hang on. With those two goals in mind, perfection and the crown of life, in that way can we consider our trials with joy? Because that's that. Verse 4, no, sorry, verse 2, consider it pure joy when you ever face trials of many kinds. I find that kind of weird. Yeah, love it. Hey, you know, it's not about beating yourself and self-flagellation. But it's about having God's perspective on whatever confronts us. And seeing the joy that is within that. See, joy is associated with life. As we face our trials with God's help and perspective, so there can be joy. That's the first thing that that James says, do. Do persevere. Second thing, in the midst of trial, verse 5, we should pray. If any of you lacks wisdom, he should ask God. He should pray. Doesn't have to be a formal thing doesn't have to be in a church doesn't have to be led by a pastor doesn't have to be out loud doesn't have to be articulate holy sounding words it's about you speaking to God and relating to him and saying Lord here's my heart help me guide me strengthen me Give me your perspective, please, that I might honour you, that my life might be a pleasant offering to you. Third thing that he asks us to do is to, is to love God. Verse 12. Blessed is the man who perseveres under trials because when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life that God has promised to those that love him. Actually, the perseverance isn't the point. Loving him is the point. And we have to persevere in that pursuit of love. Love God with all your heart, with all your strength, with all your might. Because actually, 
as we come down to verse 18, we see that we love because God loved us first. He chose us. And so we respond in love. And the last thing which kind of relates to the point above is that we recognise that our hearts are defective. And James says, look to the one who is the author of all that is good. See, in verse 17, every good and perfect gift is from above. It's not from us. But it's from him who chose us. And in that there is hope that the gracious giving God of light and life has chosen us and he can make us worthy to stand in his presence. That last bit of verse 18, he chose to give us birth through the word of truth that we might be a kind of first fruits of all he created. That notion of first fruits <coughs> is the offering of the best that the Old Testament Jews would have given to God. The very best of their harvest, the finest of their livestock, they would have given to God and God would have been pleased. And God, through Jesus, has chosen to give us new birth that we might be acceptable in his sight. So don't doubt. Don't be deceived and fall into sin. But seek the Heavenly Father through the Son by the power of the Spirit that you might persevere I wonder if we might just take a moment to consider some of the trials that you are facing right now and bring them to the Lord. Let's just be quiet for a moment and I want to continue to lead us. you meet with us this day would you help us to confront the trials of our lives with your perspective with the hope that you have given us Would you strengthen us, Lord, to stay strong and persevere that we might walk whatever path we currently face 
holding on to your goodness and your grace. Lord, would you come amongst us as a fellowship by the power of your Spirit this day. Help us, Lord, we pray. 